Hello and welcome to the United Launch Alliance Vulcan Centaur Podcast. I'm Derek Brecken, and I'll be your host over the course of this series as we sit down with the team bringing ULA's newest rocket to life. I'm Amanda Bichetti, and I'm the Upper Stage Integrated Product Team Leader within the Major Development Program. But I was the Payload Accommodations Manager for about the past three and a half years, so I've been very involved in the development within the Upper Stage team. So creating things that help support the spacecraft itself, so the payload adapters, the payload fairings, um, developing all those new activities with our partnership with uh, RUAG, as well as helping develop this new Upper Stage that we're having on Vulcan. So we call that the Centaur 5 stage. It's a 5.4 meter variant of what we fly today on the Atlas vehicle. So one of the great things about having been the payload accommodations manager, we're really designing the whole unique suite to be able to support those spacecrafts. You know, we've flown those for years. We know how to do it. And so we're really bringing forward all those capabilities and the heritage and the understanding. And that really there's a lot of sensitivity that these spacecrafts have. We have firsthand understanding. And so we're able to go work with those spacecraft customers and bring those design solutions forward. Um, in fact, a lot of the solutions we're using were either things that we have flown or things that we have gone through critical design reviews previously, and now we're just bringing forward on Vulcan and making sure they work and tweaking where needed based on the Vulcan vehicle. Zooming out to the industry at large, can you talk about what it's like working at the cutting edge of the aerospace industry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it's funny, you know, I started working here about 15 years ago and very much on the recurring side, launching missions, which is fantastic and very successful. But the last three and a half years of just doing new work has been very exciting. You know, a lot of times I'm working with the business development team and getting our information out there. And it's exciting to get that feedback from people like, wow, you guys are actually going and bringing forward these new capabilities, you know, out of autoclave composites, um, some different thruster capability and things like that. So as we mentioned kind of before we got started here, I think we have a very broad audience. Can yes. you uh, explain what composites are? Yes, so absolutely. So composites are basically non-metallic materials. So um, we use a carbon fiber material. Think of it as like a big cloth. Um, we lay that up with composites. And so when you have these multiple layers of composites, it's extremely strong, but very lightweight, efficient components. And so we use those for these Payload fairings, that's what encapsulates and protects the spacecraft during launch and also for the adapters that we hold the spacecrafts on. So we use them throughout the vehicle, um, but very, very great technology. The, the new thing we've brought forward now is the fact that we don't need to go into what's called an autoclave. That is basically a, a, a big oven that also provided pressure to be able to make these strong composites. It's very, very expensive. It's hard to bring that forward. And so working with our partners, RUAG, they've created an ability where you don't need that pressure um, to be the high level of pressure to be able to have the effective composites. That's really saved a lot in capital investiture and helps us create very low cost, um, very effective composites. So can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you've encountered and how you've sort of tackled that as a team? <laughs> yeah, so we've we've had I think everybody's had a lot of challenges, right? So there's technical challenges and schedule challenges, but I think they're all addressed in the in the same manner. You know, we try to make sure that we're working together as a team always stepping back and making sure we see if there's alternative ways to go um, with things and having backup solutions. You know, right now we're, we're just working even through some schedule items that it's the, the biggest thing is to be able to get the team buy-in and get them focused. You know, you, you want to see nothing more than people running a thousand miles ahead of you trying to go work the issues um, and just, again, be creative and work as a team. Uh, can you talk a little bit about 
the customer focus here at ULA and how that connects to the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's the number one of our forefront. From the inception of Vulcan, our plan has been there to be able to support the warfighter and all of our, you know, customer needs from NASA and commercial, but really getting to that warfighter and being able to help support the the missions to go do science. And so that's actually the basis of all of our requirements. You know, we have developed Vulcan based on a, what we call our level zero requirements. Those are our primary requirements driven by our customer, and that's what flows down to everything we're developing. So within the payload accommodations and the upper stage, everything we're thinking about is, will this help make sure we're meeting our customers' needs? And since we've flown these critical missions for so long, we actually understand not only what requirements they've driven to us, but what we have done for the last 15 years. And we're bringing those capabilities forward as well, knowing that they're going to want them right off the bat, even if they haven't asked yet. How do ULA's core values, you know, we mentioned mission focused, but uh, ingenious, inclusive and ethical. How do they impact your leadership style? So I think they all they all play. And I think it's important as a leader to really model the way and really be the one walking the walk and talking the talk. Right. You know, the, the ethical piece, it doesn't necessarily always play in day to day in a clear example. Right. But it's always important to be representing the best you and, and, and being open and kind of the inclusive piece goes back to that teamwork I was talking about is it's not so much that you're trying to overtly be inclusive. It's really the latter is that if you just create a, an organization that you guys are always working together and doing things in an effective way, it just naturally happens, right? That you're not trying to separate folks out, that everybody's an important piece. And it's an, it, it's good to make sure we, we keep that in mind every day in what we're doing. So let's talk a little bit about Vulcan's new payload fairing and how it's going to be different from uh, past versions. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's really been a key concept behind what we've been doing in payload accommodations. We are trying to take the best of both heritages, both from Atlas and Delta. And so, you know, having done hundreds of encapsulations with the payload fairing, we understand the keys from a spacecraft customer perspective. You know, they want to be vertical to do that vertical integration, meaning they want the spacecraft wants to be sitting vertically in the way that they're going to launch. This helps ensure that we're not imparting extra loads or anything into the spacecraft prior to launch. You know, they're very sensitive assets. We want to keep them happy. Um, we've also tried to move away from things that we've done historically on Atlas. We had our avionics system within the payload compartment. We've taken that out. Um, that's also really, from a spacecraft focus, um, a huge positive you know, we've been able to work with it for Atlas and, you know, make sure everybody's happy, but not having those, having that avionics in there is a huge benefit. You don't have that additional radiation, um, as it were. But the biggest thing we've done with this fairing is we've actually created the ability where when we separate the fairing, um, it separates and then rises away from the launch vehicle. What that does is that reduces the shock environment that the payload, the spacecraft customer is seeing. Um, that's a huge benefit. They want to make sure they have a very soft ride. So when we're letting go of them, they're as happy as they were the day they were built. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the upper stage yep. and Centaur 5. What is Centaur 5 going to be capable of? Yeah, so Centaur 5 was really, when we started developing that, we stepped back and said, you know, we're creating a stage for use today, but we want to create a stage that has basically the right bones and framework to be able to evolve going forward. So we've made some critical changes, you know, the biggest being, of course, that it's physically larger. You know, it's now a 5.4 meter stage, but now we're just talking about changing, you know, our avionics or updating our propulsion systems, meaning you can change the brains and the guts of how you operate the tank without having to start all over again. So that really allows us to make these 
incremental upgrades to help all of our customers, not from the just from the warfighter, but then if there's on, long on orbit needs or things of that nature, we really can make those steps quickly just by but basically bolting on different hardware. So um, can we back up and talk a little bit about your time as a mission manager? Sure. Would that be okay? Yeah. Um, I like that you did your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how has your work as a mission manager informed uh, your new role? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, I, as a mission manager, I felt like I was very lucky and had some very good opportunities that I was able to work the very critical NRO payloads, some of the very critical Air Force payloads, some of those avspace missions, um, as well as some of the NASA commercial missions. I actually even um, launched the uh, the second Cygnus payload to ISS. And so I kind of have this very broad knowledge of what every customer type wants. And so for me, that has been essential when we're looking at all the payload accommodations suite. You know, we're making tweaks here and there like, hey, we know that this NRO customer is going to want this. And if we go scar something into the baseline, meaning we can go bolt on something very easily later, that's great for us because it saves us money and it reduces risk, but it's even better for the customer because we just need to go, you know, say, hey, we just need that piece of hardware ready to go and not spending years and millions of dollars developing new capabilities for them. So I started out as a uh, actually a payload accommodation designer. So you see kind of a little bit of a theme. Um, so I did that for several years. I actually um, worked on um, the L-44 mission, the East Coast Heavy vehicle, the Delta IV Heavy. So I, I worked on that for several years, um, as well as some other hardware over there. And then I switched over into the mission integration side of the house. So really, I my, my core background is probably really system engineering. I did that for about six, actually eight years. Um, worked up from a system engineer to a mission integrator to a mission manager, which basically means I started with the requirements and you know, when you first get requirements, you're like, I don't understand what these are. And But I, I felt like, and I had great mentors who helped me to say, don't just work the requirements, understand them, understand the background. Why why are they playing in here? And go get to understand every person in the whole company who knows that, you know, knows the requirements, you know, from avionics to structures, to our trajectory engineers, to our contamination engineers, that all plays into how we are providing a safe satellite and, and meeting their needs. And so from digging in there to then moving into that integration role where you're not necessarily working the details of the requirements, but you're ensuring all the technical pieces and the hardware and the analysis is in the right place and that you're ready to go for launch to then the mission manager role where you're overseeing all of that and the, the programmatics and really that customer interface. So that's helped me, you know, understand the, the background of basically what we're doing on a recurring mission and then switching over to major development here in the last you know, three to four years, that's really taken the other piece and put it together for me is I have the, I had the recurring background and now it's getting into developing and how do you have the baseline hardware to, to support these needs on a recurring basis. And so those pieces all together, I feel like have really kind of interchanged with each other, having the customer background and having the hardware background for payload accommodations originally is really just driven my understanding and helping the team put together that payload accommodation suite for major development. And now I'm kind of taking this new role and expanding further to say, okay, what can we be doing on the upper stage and, and making sure we're driving that forward? And I have an amazing team of all these structures and propulsion engineers, and they're way smarter than I ever will be. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to make sure I understand what they're doing and we're doing together so we can make sure we're, we're making those intelligent decisions and developing a, a quality product that will meet the needs. But so that kind of, I guess, brings my whole life together now is 
you know, the, the booster is obviously the core that gets us off the ground, but that Centaur engine is really what takes our customer where they want to be and puts them in the right spot every time. And so kind of taking on that activity now just kind of is the topper in the cake right now for me. How have you seen the needs of the aerospace customer change over the course of your career? You know, it's interesting. It, when I first started, probably for the first five to six years, it seemed pretty stable. And now we've, you know, kind of been in a, a, a period of transition, a consistent transition. And some of it's been focused on cost. Some of it's been focused on the type of missions. And I think the type of missions has really been more recent in the last five to six years um, I was lucky and I was the mission manager for F-Space 11. I moved over to major development, so I didn't get to launch it, unfortunately. But that was a good example where these customers are starting to launch what we call um, secondary or auxiliary payloads. So, you know, smaller payloads, ESPA class payloads um, that, you know, have these additional capabilities they can test. But from an integration perspective, it's much more complex. It's not putting a single satellite on and making them happy. It's putting a big satellite with six or more small satellites. And now we're even in a bigger transition um, that we're going to start kind of laying out the framework for where the customer wants even more unique requirements to um, be able to fly unique trajectories or adjust their needs on the fly. And so that drives in um, a lot more uniqueness, not only just to our trajectory design, but to the base, base vehicle to be able to go do some of these unique missions for them. So it's great to see they're, they're making all these changes because it keeps it interesting for us, but also is important to make sure that the end user, the warfighter is really getting what they need and everything is working as expected. Can you speak a little bit to how Vulcan is being adapted to meet some of these needs specifically? You know, we've, we've always tried to make sure we're engaged with our, you know, our customers and, and understand those requirements early. So um, the initial activities in terms of these multiple satellites that I, I spoke of, that kind of comes into the just the payload accommodation suite itself. So, you know, we've des- developed what we call the uh, multi-launch canister. So that allows us to actually launch two spacecrafts. Basically, you can you put a full-size spacecraft on the main adapter and you you have a canister. Think of it as just like a, you know, a big cylinder there and you can put another full-size spacecraft on top. That allows you to easily, you know, launch multiple missions. Additionally, when I talk about these smaller spacecrafts, we've tried to step back and say, what have we seen and what is the worst case of these combinations where you could have a primary spacecraft and you could have multiple rings of small spacecrafts up to like 18 small spacecrafts? I mean, think about it as like a Gatlin gun of spacecrafts coming off is what can we do to make that easy to go do, right? So we've, we've worked with the avionics team and made sure we understand all the needs there typically um, there's a lot of additional hardware just to support the lifeblood of these spacecrafts. And so we've made sure from a Vulcan perspective, that's ready to go and we just have to bolt it on. Um, and then you take that next step to these more complex trajectories we were talking about. Um, that's really that second variant we're going to bring out for um, Vulcan. Our, our base vehicle can fly all of our missions, but this next upgrade um, where we're going to be able to have higher lift capability, we're also bringing forward a new avionics suite and so with that suite, we're able to go, you know, make unique trajectories and easily float into the software and have more capability of knowing where we are at any second and making, you know, loading any changes that we would need to support those missions. For our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, the term avionics, what does that refer to? Yeah. So avionics is basically all of the brains of the mission. So if you think about, you know, your your phone, right, that basically your, your phone has a, the same capability of what our avionics does. It's obviously 
much more hardened, meaning it's in space and it sees a lot more environments. But basically, it's the computers and telling us where where we are and where we need to go. So that's what's flying the vehicle. So there's all these boxes all over the back end of our our Centaur 5 vehicle um, that tells us where we go, how to control our engines, tells our engines to turn on and off, where to point, um, and all that. And there's harnesses. It looks like spaghetti on the back end going everywhere to connect to all the key pieces on the vehicle. For anybody listening who's interested in getting into the world of aerospace, uh, what advice would you give them? That's a good question. Um, first of all, we'd love to have anybody who's interested. We're always looking for, for good people. So, I, you know, it depends on your age, right? If you're young, just go learn more. There's there's tons of museums, tons of good videos, things out there. Um, you know, certainly recommend, you know, from a college perspective, there's a variety of different degrees out there. You can, you can get an aerospace engineering degree. Um, that's not required. You know, we're looking for people with um, electrical backgrounds, propulsion backgrounds, mechanical, basically almost any type of engineer that's out there. You know, we're we're interested in people with those skill sets and people who are interested in space. Um, and so, you know, you can you can hop in, you know, at ULA, we do internships. You know, we have those out there and they're a great way to get in um, and you can actually come and work at our Denver facility where we do a lot of our design engineering, but you can also work at our production facilities and our launch ops facilities. That's where production is where we actually build, build all of our rockets um, and the, the launch operations facilities where we actually launch. And so there's a lot of great opportunities out there for anybody's in college, you know, please go check us out. We'd love to have you. And we always look for happy and shiny faces. Thanks for listening to United Launch Alliance's Vulcan Center series. In the next episode, we'll hear from ULA's Centaur 5 hardware integrator and project engineer, Sabrina Ames, in the Meet Our Rocket Scientist episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with ULA news and events, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ULA Launch.